I'm going to start with some good news here. The world is getting dark. <laughs> Amen. That's the good news. It's, it's opportunity for revival. The world needs revival right now. Um, but my question is, do you ever feel like the darkness is too much to combat? Uh, do you ever feel overwhelmed? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about that. John 1.5 says, And the light shines in darkness, and darkness cannot overcome it. It can't overcome it. I mean, just think about what any source of light does to darkness. You know, you got a completely dark room, you got a little lighter, or you turn on your phone. I mean, what does that darkness do immediately? Yeah, retreats, scatters. In actuality, it ceases to exist. That's what's really happening, because it's being replaced with something that is not nothingness. It's being replaced with light. Um, so, regardless of how much darkness there is, how many believers is it going to take to combat the darkness? It's just going to take one person. And it doesn't matter your status in, like, I've spent years in the Word of God, and I know stuff, or I... I don't know anything about the Word of God, but I love you, Jesus, and I want to be a part of this. He can use that. Like, that's it. One of you, and that's enough to combat the darkness in this world. The darkness cannot win. The darkness is completely powerless against light, and you have the light of Jesus in you. Like, you got to get this. This is your identity. Like, we, we tend to get so overwhelmed um, whether it's politics, whether it's work, whether it's uh, emotional situations, we just get so overwhelmed or we look around and we hear about the crime and, and the corruption and, and our friends are embracing horrible lifestyles that are destroying them and, and there's just so much sadness and darkness and we're like, oh, we get so overburdened. But one person with the light of Jesus in them, that's all it takes. One person can just scatter, eliminate, obliterate the darkness. Uh, this is your identity. Colossians 1.27, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God is excited to reveal you to the world as children of God, the people that actually have the hope of glory. The whole world is looking for hope, and it's in you. If you have Jesus in you, you've got it. You've got the hope. So don't stand back and be like, oh, it's so difficult. There's all this stuff. We'll never be able to combat this. You've got it. You are the answer. Christ in you is the answer. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is you. This is us, our identity. Romans 8, 18 through 22. I consider that our present sufferings, and just take a moment to figure out what your present suffering is. You know, maybe it's any of those things I mentioned, political, relational, concern for others. Um, maybe it's nothing to do with you personally, but you just, you have concern for these other situations. Whatever the situation, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing 
with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So let's just stop there for a second before we continue here. All of creation is eagerly waiting, whether they know it or not, it's the subconscious thing. All of creation is waiting to see the children of God revealed, to see you revealed as a child of God, to see you stand up in your identity as having the hope of glory in you. They're waiting. All of creation, everybody, even those people that claim to hate you, what they are really wanting, what they really are desiring and longing and groaning for inside of them is for you to be revealed as a child of God. Uh, Four, here's why, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself (coughs) will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. So what this is saying is that everything even those things that don't have brains, like plants and the earth and energy in general, everything uh, on planet earth, everything under the sun, as Solomon says, is experiencing entropy. Um, So entropy in physics, um, uh, I don't remember where on the internet I got this, some dictionary site. It is a thermodynamic quality representing the unavailability of a system's thermal energy for conversion into mechanical work, often interpreted as the degree of disorder or randomness in the system. Anybody ever experienced degrees of disorder and randomness? Uh, The second law of thermodynamics says that entropy always increases with time. Um, Second definition. The lack of order or predictability, gradual decline into disorder. And the, uh, the root of these words of entropy, it comes from um, en, which means inside, and the Greek word trope, which means transformation. So entropy is inside transformation in a really bad way. So think about fruit as it sits there and it starts to rot. It's rotting, uh, it has an inside, a molecular transformation. So everything in earth, everything on earth, everything under the sun, the energy is released, never to be restored, all things. Um, We are getting older, the plants are dying, and the whole earth, I mean, when scientists, they they think about the future and they're trying to think in like billions of years, theoretically, there's just nothing because everything will go away because of entropy. But what this verse in Romans 8 is saying is everything knows this, but believers, their soul reverses the entropy. All of a sudden, it comes to a stop. And this verse is saying that all of creation can look at that stop of entropy, which is life eternal, and say, wait a minute, I see hope for me. Even the plants who can't think, this Bible says that the plants know somehow that when the children of God are revealed, there is hope for earth. There is hope for earth. 
Yeah, the earth is decaying and there is entropy, but the fact that entropy stops in the soul of a believer who has the hope of glory in them is evidence that that's not the only place it stops. It's evidence that there's something more that's coming, and that is a total stop of entropy for even things under the sun in the future. When Jesus comes to make things right, and he's not going to do that until the heart's get it right, until the bride gets right, until the bride steps up as the children of God in their identity as having the hope of glory, standing in reverse entropy, standing in life eternal with rivers of life coming out of us. Let's step into this. Let's have a different sort of inside transformation. But you might be thinking about this, like this, is, this sounds good, hope in me, the Christ of glory, sounds nice, but it's not my experience. My life does not bring hope of glory. It's just a boring, regular life. I'm sure that we all feel that way at times or a lot of the time, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like, the Bible is not lying when it says that Christ in you is the hope of glory and that all creation is waiting for you to be revealed. This is truth. Let's stand on this. The scripture lays out a two-step plan to reverse entropy, to bring revival and to turn your cold heart into one that releases rivers of life. Are you ready for the two-step plan? Love God and love people. Both of these steps require abiding, uh, spending time. Love is relational, always. So uh, the two-step plan means I'm going to form a relationship with God. And my first step in starting my relationship with God, in that very first step, that's when the entropy stops. That's when you have life eternal right there. But in order to live it out and have rivers of life coming out of you, this is where the relationship matters. You just keep loving on God. You just keep loving on God, and that'll give you the ability to love on people because we are spirit and flesh. We connect with spirit, and we are now able to connect with flesh properly. By the way, this teaching is called, uh, I don't remember what it was called. Do you remember what it was called? Whatever. It has something to do with uh, life and godliness. There we go. Life and godliness, two separate things that are intimately connected, and that's going to be what we're talking about here. By the way, your notes are a little weird today. Uh, you might have noticed already uh, the front page is just all the Bible verses I'm using. Uh, the second page are questions to ask yourself. So if you um, ignore my teaching, just fill out those questions and study the Word on your own, like, I don't even care if you're not listening because uh, your life will be changed. All right. Um, Two-step plan, relationship, relationship with the Father, with Jesus, relationship with others. In order to embrace the fullness of this abundant life that is offered to you so that you can share it with the world so that you can be that light that obliterates the darkness around you, um, you got to realize this, that you are both flesh and spirit. And sometimes we focus on one and neglect the other. And we're going to talk about how to pay attention to both and how each of them, like, works together with the other to have a full expression of the heart of God in this world. But first, I want to talk a little bit more about, about what it means to be this light, how one person can be a light and it obliterates darkness. If you, if 
you don't have a picture in your head, I want to remind you of past revivals. There have been revivals going on probably without stop since Acts 2 in various pockets all over the world. And you know what happens in revival? Stuff that can't happen in the natural. It's light. It's people that have decided to live in relationship with God and to recognize their identity as somebody who is the hope of glory. And so they're just like, God, I need you and I need you to move and I love you and I'm going to love, I'm going to love the world through you. And then they're praying that it's relationship with God, relationship with people. And then the power of God comes through and here's what happens. People, their lives are different. They're completely changed. They come, they come all from all over the place. They get radically transformed on the inside. Reverse entropy happens. Suddenly, all these people that were mortal are becoming immortal, popping up. Immortality everywhere. People that are living lives of destruction, and they're drinking all the time, and whatever. They're angry all the time. Suddenly, all that's reversed, and these are people of love, and they're people of hope, and they're caring. And people that were timid, sometimes they get emboldened, and they go share the gospel. And this, Guys, this happens everywhere all over the place. And it's been happening, like I said, for thousands of years in various pockets. We experienced a very teeny little drop of it in 1995 here in this community and uh, a little bit before that. But um, it's time to experience it in a major way. And all we got to do is follow God's two-step program, relationship with Jesus, regular relationship with Jesus, relationship with people, spirit and flesh. Um, so what does it look like when we do one of the things, the flesh stuff or the spirit stuff, and uh, ignore the other? Um, so here's some examples. I could attend every prayer service, every worship service. I could read my Bible daily, but I will not um, help my neighbor. I won't bless my community. I won't be salt and light. I'm not in I'm not inventing or creating or making the world a better place in the natural uh, through the means that God gave me when he created me, and very specifically, my relationships with my family and friends are failing. So all this can happen. But by the way, if this is something that you experience, if, if you're attending all the prayer meetings, all the worship meetings, and your life isn't expressing this immortal life that God has given you, I think it might be at your attendance to these meetings you're going out of obligation and not desperation and adoration. Because if you approach God with desperation and adoration, the natural thing that's going to happen is now the Spirit is going to flow from your flesh. And in the flesh, you're going to go out and change the world with the power of the Spirit. So that's a possibility of what it could look like of just doing... Oh, by the way, some people that do this, um, it is a common thought throughout the world. It's a very religious thought that um, we just need to do the spiritual things. So I'm going to neglect all things that bring me happiness. I'm going to maybe go to a monastery and leave my family behind or whatever. Maybe I'll just, you know, maybe it's better if I feel bad about myself. Um, I don't know, all various levels um, and where they neglect. You know, I'm not going to um, pursue these other natural talents I have because I just need to just need to pray, but that's not how it works. You are spirit and flesh. God wants to move through your flesh with the spirit. You have a spirit that is immortal because of your connection with Jesus, and it should flow from your flesh. 
So the other alternative, the other side of the spectrum, is maybe I feed the hungry and I get cats out of trees and I start charitable organizations and I'll invent perpetual motion machines and I'll become the president, outlaw all evil things, but die internally because I still don't feel I have any purpose. And that's because purpose is in relationship with Christ. But not only that, let's say I did all that stuff all that amazing stuff, um, which I encourage you to do. Do all that stuff. Um, but that's not going to change hearts because changing hearts is a supernatural thing that only God can do. You can outlaw every evil thing in the nation, and it's not going to fix anything. It's all about hearts, and only God can do that. So we need the Spirit to move through the flesh. So sometimes, and it's true in a very real sense, sometimes we're told that the flesh is bad, and we're told to die to the flesh, which is, yes, let's do that. Let's die to the flesh. But we have to understand where flesh fits in. Um, what it's saying to die to the flesh, what it's talking about is the evil or selfish desires of the flesh or those desires to do things on our own without God. Completely die to that. We need to be absolutely desperate for him to move through us. So in that sense, yes, die to the flesh. But um, on the other hand, there are things that we can only do in the flesh. Um, like hug somebody, talk to somebody, be the person that God created you to be in the world with your talents and your personality and your abilities in the situation where you're at. One of those questions on the back of your uh, notes asks like, what is it that only I can do because God placed me in this specific situation? So this is a real deal. This is something that only you can do because God created you for such a time as this. Um, so uh, liking things, enjoying things, having desires to do things, natural talents, natural giftings, none of this is bad. Um, we were actually designed by God for these things, to experience these things. We are in, we're designed by God to, to taste delicious flavors and see beautiful sights and have good feelings because of the world around us and good things. Like, God likes us enough to do this for us. So the flesh is not bad in that sense. That's the part of a redeemed flesh. So here's some examples to make this case. John 1.1 1, 1, and also John 1.14. Um, in the beginning was the Word, that's Spirit. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word did what? It became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's what Tony's been talking about lately in the, through the book of John study. God wants to dwell with us. Um, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what God did. God himself put on flesh. And that should show us that who we are, our desires, our talents, our natural abilities, they do have significance because, like I said, there's, only some, there's some things that we can't do except in the flesh. And there's also other things we can't do except in the Spirit. So we need both active. More about Jesus. 
Let's just talk a lot about that guy. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you know that our salvation couldn't have been made just in the spiritual? It had to be made in the flesh. Jesus had to come and put on flesh and then die. He had to do that in the flesh with the power of the Spirit. We need these two things working together. There are things that you are called to do that will bless this world that only you can do by being who you are in the flesh. As I've talked about, you could buy somebody food, you could give somebody uh, a hug, you, could, uh, you can sing a song that the, the Spirit gives you, so the Spirit could give you the song, but you're playing it physically. Maybe you can in- engineer something revolutionary. Whatever, you, whatever position you're in, with whatever gifts you have, it's for a reason. You are the light of the world. You have the hope of glory. You have Jesus in you. Your natural talents and your personality are gifts from God to the world. Sometimes we look at them as, um, I don't know, something a little more selfish. But the truth is, you have these things for the world, for others. Um, As I said, life in the flesh is important, but not in flesh alone. We do not want to live according to the flesh. Um, The word was made flesh, we want the word to flesh itself out through us. If we just live according to the flesh, if we just do stuff, even good stuff, it will be shallow and hollow. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have a love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. I If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but have no love, I gain nothing. Love is not natural. Love is spiritual. God is love. This is the spiritual. Like this is this verse just totally nails that point that we can do we could do all that cool stuff and then like like I don't know. Anybody, let's think about modern day people who do a lot of stuff. What's the first name that comes to mind for the dude who's like doing all the stuff? Like he's changing the physical world in a way. Elon Musk. That's the first name that came to my mind. But without the love of God, like what's really changing in the end? Maybe technology will be changed for the course of our short little history. But hearts are ever when they're in Christ. Um, Paul warns Timothy this. This is from 2 Timothy 3, 4 through 5, that in the last days people will be treacherous, rash, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And he tells Timothy, having nothing to do with such people, having a form of godliness but denying its power and being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. See, that's when we get it all perverted. We get it all mixed up because, see, God created us for pleasure, but true pleasure comes when our pleasure is in 
God, then we are fulfilled, then we're in right standing to enjoy the world around us properly, right? Um, and so we don't want to be treacherous, rash, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. If we are lovers of God first, then we will live in humility, and then we're going to experience so much joy. The Bible talks so much about joy, and it's available. If anybody needs some joy, get into Jesus. We are spirit and flesh. We want to walk according to and administer the power of God even as we make pie for our friends, even as we rock the film industry with some new profound movie or whatever, even as we sell NFTs on the internet or whatever, whatever it is, we want to be desperate for Jesus and in complete love and adoration for him, walking in the power of God so that he can walk through our flesh to the world. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, this is where the title comes from. His divine, by the way, um, some, modern, some newer translations uh, have translated this in a way that I disapprove. Aaron has the disapproval of certain translations on this verse. Even good translations, they mess up on this one. Um, it says, in, uh, the, the good translations say, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Modern translations, and maybe yours do too. I love the NLT, but NLT, come on guys. They translate it, all things pertaining to a godly life. A godly, if your translation says it, you know, forgive the translators, I guess. But it doesn't say a godly life. It says all things pertaining to life and godliness. So me, as an English speaker, when I hear the word a godly life, I just think of the spiritual stuff, godly life, you know? Never mind the regular life, just the godly So like I, I'm categorizing now, the godly life. But no, no, the verse actually says that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to both life, that's me going to work and school and having relationships with people, some are messy, some are healthy. That's life and godliness, walking in the power of God, shining light in my situations in life, in my messy and healthy relationships, in my workplace, in my school, and all that. All things giving me the ability to operate supernaturally in the physical realm as I do natural stuff, like invent things or whatever. So let's, let's, let's not stop before the sentence is over. All things, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called, now this is the, not this knowledge is talking about relational knowledge. This is what I'm talking about. Just knowledge, like book knowledge doesn't do it. This is about relationship like we talked about. Um, all this is possible. All things pertaining to life and godliness through the relational knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Again, your identity, you are called to God's glory and excellence by which he has granted to us, me, you, his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. What? 
you are partakers of the divine nature? If this wasn't Bible, I'd say that was sacrilegious. But it is Bible. This is what God says. He says, come, be joined to me, become in me and I in you. You are partaking in my divine nature as you go out and be who you are in the world. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. See, you can be in the world when you've escaped the corruption of your sinful desires. You'll be so effective in the world. We are spirit and flesh. We are without excuse. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness, stuff of flesh, stuff of spirit, through the knowledge of Jesus, relational knowledge, abiding in his presence. So who is this God that wants to have relationship with us? It's the one who called us to his own glory and excellence. So we may, might think that what we have in our life is ashes. If you guys remember what the Bible says about ashes, he says that he wants to trade those ashes for what? Beauty. He wants to take those ashes and give you beauty. This is the God who's calling you to glory and excellence. He's going to take those ashes. He's going to give you beauty. So why does God give us everything we need for life and godliness? Oh, we already said that. So we can become partakers of his divine nature. We are therefore, here's a good verse, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are, by the way, that was just a dumb thing I just said. Here's a good verse. <laughs> As opposed to those dumb verses. No. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You're Christ's ambassadors in the world. Um, so I give you this teaching because your calling here on earth is the two elements I've been talking about this whole time, spiritual element and physical element, called to participate in the world to make it a better place, to be teachers. Is there any teachers in here? Yes. Uh, and to be whatever, artists, any artists in here, to be builders or game designers or music makers or journalists or mothers or fathers or fashion designers or podcasters or whatever. You are called to participate in the world to make it a better place through the power of the Spirit fleshing itself out through you. Christians must serve what some people call the seven mountains of society, which is education, religion, entertainment, family, media, business, government. Uh, here's the, an interesting thing. Uh, I, I heard a local pastor in town recently talk about how the original duty of mankind, I mean, this is true, it's in the Bible, so he's not, I shouldn't have just referenced this guy. Um, the original duty of mankind back in the garden was to prosper, fill the earth, multiply, and take charge. Earth was given to us to manage and neglecting it leads to chaos. So what did they take charge of back in the Garden of Eden? Because um, we might have a different idea today of what taking charge of looks like. Um, but what they were taking charge of was the chaos. And they were bringing it to order. Because that's what God does, and you are partnered with him. So how did they do that? They did that by serving. Even in the garden, they did that by serving. So they look at maybe a tree or a plant or whatever, and when it's neglected, it starts to become unruly. It becomes out of order, and it needs to be served. This is what taking control looks like. It means I'm taking control of chaos, and I'm serving. 
So they would serve the tree, they would prune it, and they would make it so that it could produce more or whatever. And so when we go into the seven mountains of society, we don't come to, I recently heard this term from Bethel, that we're not coming to infiltrate, we're not coming to take over, we're coming to serve, we're coming to take charge of the chaos, and we are bringing it into order by serving out of love. Um, Jesus says this to his father. I have given them, that's you guys, your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You guys are the light. You guys are sent. Here's your identity. Here's your mission. Light, go. Identity, mission. Light, go. Go, go lights. Not now, just wait. Oil lamps are important, but they're useless without oil. Actions of the flesh are designed and purposed by God, but they need fuel. Prayer. Uh, prayer priority and the word. You know, that's some of the fuel that you need. So uh, I'm going to start summing it up here, or start winding it down. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. This is Proverbs 13, 12. This one uh, matters a lot to me. And all my life, I knew the first part. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I always hated the verse because of how true it was, but I never knew the other half. And so it was always very depressing because I'm like, I know all about hope deferred, and I know about a sick heart. Yep, it's Bible, it's true, but I experience it too. Dang. <laughs> but it says this, the second part. It says, uh, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. This verse is in the Bible for a reason. Do you think God wants you to have... Now, the, you should know the answer to this. It's very clear in the scripture. Does God want you to have a sick heart or does he want you to be a tree of life? That's right. Psalms 1 says that you can be a tree of life. And what does a tree of life look like? Uh, if you look in Revelation 22.2, you will see that um, a tree of life heals the nations. So when you have your longings fulfilled in partnership with Christ, you get to participate in healing the nations. However, um, so this, what, what I'm getting at is if you have a dream inside of you, if you have a desire, um, I also learned this recently too because I didn't know this. Um, it's not a selfish thing. It's probably put there by God. And it's put there so that you can then take that dream and then allow the Spirit of God to flesh itself out through your actions in this world, and then you get to bring healing to the nations. Um, but there is a, a trick here. The priority has to be Jesus and not your dreams. Your dreams are legit and should not be neglected, but if you really care about your dreams, you'll seek the kingdom first because all your dreams, whether you know it or not, exist to build the kingdom, the king's domain. The fulfillment of your dreams are intended to be part of Isaiah 9-7, which says, of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. That's what 
you have dreams for so that you can increase the government of God, changing the world by the peace of God that exists when he is ruling the dominion. Therefore, Matthew 6, 33, words of Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And yes, he is specifically talking in reference here to, to needs, like what will I wear, what will I eat. I think it also applies to your dreams too. Like, oh, I, I desire desperately to do such and such. I think that verse applies to that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Um, in the Bible class today, I recommend going to these sometimes. They're really good. Uh, Bill Johnson reminded us um, about building the kingdom of God that the poor in spirit get the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit, recognizing your desperation for the Lord, seeking him in desperation and adoration above your dreams, but then through that, you know, I don't know. It's good stuff. Poor in spirit. That's where it's all at. Starting there. Relationship. All right. So I recommend, here's some recommendations for you to take home. If you want to be a rock star, first become a worshiper. Um, if you want to be an actor, first live the book of Acts. If you want to be agriculture, first be rooted in Christ and produce fruit. If you want to be a mother, get to know your father. Um, so I want, to, I want to promote something that's going to be going on in this church here soon uh, uh, at the end of August for ladies. But I don't care. It, dudes, we'll do something else. But uh, ladies, you have an opportunity. Uh, there's a class coming up that's going to be several weeks long, uh, for you to learn how to combine walking in the Spirit with fleshing it out. Um, so BJ and Dean, if you can show that 30-second advertisement. Come explore the arts of worship. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. The very act of using the gifts we've been given is worship unto the Lord. What are your gifts? What has the Lord put in you that will reflect his glory? All right. Um, last two verses, and then we're going to pray for you, and you'll be dismissed. Um, 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul says, do not neglect, he says this to Timothy again, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And then later, at a different time, point in time, Paul is talking to the church in Rome, and he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So here's actually how I want to, to end this. Um, if the band could come up, we can have some music going. I want to specifically pray for those of you who are um, maybe struggling with your 
like natural desires and you feel like you were made for a purpose, but you don't know how to, you know, you just, you're frustrated or whatever. And um, not just me, but I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up here. And whoever wants prayer for that, come up here. We're going to pray that you experience the Spirit of God flowing through you and that He will bring to fulfillment in the right time the desires that He has placed in your hearts.